You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington. We meet each Sunday with two services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We hope you enjoy. Want to know more about us? You can check us out online at www.axecamus.org. Okay, here's the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. It's good to have you all here this morning. In the year 2000, which for some of you who are younger probably seems like a really long time ago, and to those of us who are older, we're like, that wasn't that long ago. (laughs) I remember when I was a kid thinking about the fact that I would be alive during the year 2000, like that that was like a big deal, like so futuristic. I remember thinking, the year 2000 will come when I'm 22 years old, you know, and and thinking, oh, that's going to be so great. That's going to be such a great age, 22. I'm going to love that. And the year 2000 came. Spoiler alert, it came. And uh, there were some great things in my life, and there were some difficulties. Uh, the, the year before, 1999, Tiffany and I were married. And in 2000, we had our first child, Corey, my daughter, my sweet daughter, who I love very much. And that was an amazing and special blessing to have Corey. And it was, you know, obviously the highlight of, of that year in our lives. Um, and, uh, but unfortunately for me, um, and even more for Tiffany, I decided to gain about 70 pounds of sympathy weight <laughs> during her pregnancy. I've mostly retained it because I'm not a quitter. Um, and I even added some when Ethan was born because I didn't want him to feel left out. Um, it just didn't seem right to do that. And I've mostly you know, tried to keep the weight on, mostly for sentimental reasons, um, just to remind me what a sensitive guy I am. Tiffany doesn't agree with that for some reason and thinks that maybe I should stop being so sensitive and be a little fitter. Um, So we'll work on that, but that's a different issue. Anyway, in in late 2000, I was a new husband. I was a new father. uh, I was in school, uh, and and I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. I I did not honor God with the things I did, the things I thought, the things that that were going on in my life. Uh, I was not walking with the Lord in any way that anyone would look at and say, oh, yeah, he's a Christian. I probably would have professed, I would have professed Christianity, but there was nothing in my life that would have suggested that it was true. Uh, I was attending George Fox University, and I was taking a lot of classes that semester, I remember, um, which was difficult. And one night, all of a sudden, here I am, one-month-old baby and new marriage and tons and tons of classes, and out of nowhere, I just had this crazy panic attack, just serious, serious panic attack. Um, Some of you might be able to relate to that if you've had one before. For different people, they affect you in different ways. Uh, For me, it was this horrible feeling of just impending doom, like the sky was going to fall. I mean, it was just like the worst, the worst fear ever. And I I felt like I was losing my mind. I I was afraid. I mean, I was just very afraid all of a sudden out of nowhere. And that night when I was finally at some point able to get to sleep, I prayed that those feelings would disappear the next morning, that I would wake up and they would go away. They did not. I was debilitated by this, just debilitated. I, I got ready that, that morning and I, I went to school. I knew there was this at George Fox. They have this, I don't know if it's still there or not. It was a long time ago. But there's a prayer chapel, like just this little chapel you can go in and you can pray. And I thought, I'm going to go to that prayer chapel. That seemed like a really Christian-y thing to do. Um, and that I would go there and I would pray. 
that God would, would take this away and I wouldn't be suffering this terror and this, and this fear that I'm, that I'm suffering. So I went to that, that place and I prayed and I went to my first class and I sat through the whole class. I was visibly upset. It, I think it was really obvious to anybody. Um, and afterwards, I asked my professor, who's a Christian man, who's somewhat of a mentor to me at the time, you know, hey, can we talk? Can I talk to you? And then he said yes. And um, he noticed during the class that I did not look well. It was a small class, so he was able to see that I was not doing well. And, and we walked. We took a walk, and we talked. And he was able to help somewhat um, comfort me in some of the sort of fears I was having. But um, the stuff that was racing through my mind wasn't, wasn't getting better. I was still really, really in panic and terror and fear, struggling with that. It just wasn't enough to solve that, that problem, that panic terror problem. And, and so, uh, you know, he tried, but he never experienced it. And he didn't know anybody that experienced it. And frankly, neither had I. I actually don't know that I'd ever heard of a panic attack. I don't know that I'd ever really heard much about anxiety disorders or anything like that. So I really didn't know what was happening. It was just like, all of a sudden, I've got 22 years of of normal, and then all of a sudden, just boom, my body and my mind just, you know, go into this thing. So I had no idea what was going on, and I went that night to my parents, and I drove back up here. They lived in Vancouver, and I came, and I asked my dad for prayer, and I remember that he said to me, what has your relationship with Jesus been like? You know, what that, what's that been like lately? And I remember just crying, just weeping, just crying in, in shame and, and in pain, over the fact that for the past several years I had been living totally like a prodigal son, right? Totally outside of relationship with Jesus. I was not seeking relationship with Jesus. I was selfish and wicked and rebellious and doing my own thing, and I had been far from him. And that night, things started to change in my relationship with Jesus, although it was not an overnight uh, success in terms of me all of a sudden being perfect and mature and so on. You can tell that still hasn't happened, so you know that it didn't happen that night, but... My problems were not solved instantly, and the almost constant panic that I was going through continued. It continued. Uh, and, and so the next day, I remember got up. It was a Saturday. I was, uh, we stayed at my parents' house, myself and, and Tiffany and baby Corey, and, and uh, I tried to watch the game. The Huskies were playing that day, and, and I tried to watch the game. And I remember, I really specifically remember this game because I, didn't, I don't remember the game because it was on, but I couldn't concentrate on it because I was so just overcome with this panic and this fear. It was actually, on a side note, the only game we lost that year uh, and that we didn't get to play for the national championship because of it. And I'll tell you who we lost to. Of course, it was the Oregon Ducks. Um, and so if you're wondering why I have not the best feelings towards them, that's one reason. Okay. So, mental pain and anguish, can't even watch the game. Uh, my dad worked at Crossroads Church, which was down the street at the time, and Bill Ritchie, the teaching pastor there, had referred uh, a, a counselor, a guy named Mickey Day, and so I went to see this guy named Mickey Day. And when I went to see Mickey, he actually did know exactly what I was experiencing. So for these several days in between that time, I'm in total terror and fear and whatever, he actually did know what I was experiencing, and he was able to diagnose the issue. I had an anxiety disorder, and it's what I had. It was actually relatively common. It's not that uncommon. It's called panic disorder. I later learned that I also have OCD, which is probably not what you think it is. You probably, if you see my car and how messy it is, you would know it's not what you think it is. Um, it does not mean that you make everything. If you've seen the show Monk, it's not like that. Great show, but it's not like that. Um, 
And so uh, anxiety disorders cause something. They cause, wait for it, anxiety. That's what they cause. They cause anxiety. And what is anxiety? This is what Google says. It says anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Anxiety is fear. Anxiety is worry. It's worry that just, in the case of an anxiety disorder, that just comes upon you. So my anxiety disorder was so severe that I basically dropped out of school and I felt unable to do much of anything at all. I was essentially paralyzed with fear. So I knew what it was and I understood what was happening, but I wasn't able to deal with it or overcome it for months and months and months. And you can imagine my wife, she has this new, shiny, slightly heavier husband than when she married him, but this, this new husband, and all of a sudden, he's gone from you know, doing stuff to not doing anything. And I know you ladies like a guy who won't do anything. I know that. The guys who are in the basement playing video games, I know that's just like, mm, that's, that's my guy. But that, that's a provider right there. No offense to every guy under 25 in the room. Um, so anyway, I'm kidding. So I was that guy, and I wasn't really playing video games. I mean, I may have played some video games. I don't remember, but I wasn't able to do anything. I was just totally paralyzed with this anxiety disorder. Now, I'm going to get back to this story a little later this morning, Lord willing. But first, I want to get into, um, start walking into the scripture that we're going to get into, into today. So we've been in this series called Right Side Up. As most of you know, we have been going through Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. We have been learning what it looks like to live the Christ life the kingdom life, the right side up life, the kingdom of God. What does that look like? How do people who are part of the kingdom of God live? And so we call the series right side up because the world and culture at the time that Jesus was teaching and the world and culture now are upside down in comparison to the kingdom life, the truth, the way, the truth, the life, Jesus Christ. Our world and our culture are totally upside down. And so Jesus is showing us how to live right side up. That's what he's doing in this passage. And so we're in chapter 6 of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, which I recommend you bring these, because here at Acts Church we study the Bible. We read a lot of the Bible during these services, so it's good to have one with you. I know not everybody does paper anymore. If you do, great. If you want it on your phone, of course, we throw it up on the screen. But I really do encourage you to, to bring your Bible. Um, we're going to be in chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter, okay? So here we go. Matthew six twenty-five. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay. As usual, when we get into scripture, there's a lot going on here. A lot going on here in this passage. We're going to begin studying this passage at the beginning, which I usually think is a good place to start. And the first word of this passage is the word, therefore. Therefore. It's the first word in there. Now, I know sometimes we love, you know, witty, like quips and and pithy sayings. I I love them as much as anyone else. A good, you know, Mark Twain quote or something that that just really hits the spot and it's it's somewhat profound and it's kind of funny and it or whatever it is, whatever it happens to be, but it's it's short, right? And they can have deep truths in them, but normally speaking, those truths are much wider and deeper, and there's a lot more to them than just what's in the pithy saying. Now I think that we like Bible verses for the same reason. I think that we like Bible verses because they can be kind of quick-hitting passages, they're relatively easy to remember, and they can fit on a t-shirt or a sign or a coffee mug, and boom, there's your piece of truth. And and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Bible verses are great. They're scripture. They're they're awesome. Uh, But there's a lot more going on with any verse than just the verse itself. It takes more than a single verse to understand the length and the breadth and the depth of the scriptures and the amazing blessing of what God has revealed to us in truth in scripture. There's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. It takes study and it takes context. Okay? You have to understand what is being said in the context of the passage and the teaching that you're reading, also in the context of the greater book that you're in, or the greater part of the teaching you're reading, and in the context of the entire testimony of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And if you don't understand that, you won't understand what's going on with that verse. The verse by itself, without the rest of it, isn't going to give you what you need, okay? So, if you don't, uh, I, I said this in the first service, and I'll, I'll tell you guys too. If you don't quite see what I'm saying, let me give you an example. The very next verse from the last one that we read is probably the most popular verse in Western culture right now. Okay? It's Matthew 7, 1, and it says, Judge not that you be not judged. Okay? Probably the most popular verse. If you take that verse out and stick it on a bumper sticker, I think most people don't understand what it really means. You think so? It is extremely contextually based. You have to understand, with that particular one, you have to understand the verse, you have to understand the context of where it comes, you have to understand the language of Greek, and just like us, they use the word judge in different ways. Lord willing, that'll be the next thing that we hit, so don't miss that, uh, the next thing that we hit in this series. But uh, it's just to, to show you that verses need context. They need context. And Jesus starts with the word, therefore, therefore. He uses that word for a reason, or else he just would have started with, I say to you, and then gone on. He says, therefore, for a reason, for a reason. A lot of teachers of the Bible will tell you that when you see the word therefore, you need to figure out what the therefore is there for, okay? That's what they say, and they're not wrong. They're not wrong. You do need to know what the therefore is there for. What you're seeing when you see a word therefore is a conclusion to an argument, to an argument. I know when I say an argument, uh, it makes a lot of us think 
arguing, like what you do with your brother-in-law at the Thanksgiving table, which you should stop doing that. It's really annoying to everybody. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about here. An argument of the type Jesus is making is they're found all over in the Bible, and they're not about arguing. They're about reasoning. Arguments are ways that we reason, that we reason. Okay, so God gave us minds, and our minds are able to take in what we would call propositional truth, which just means true statements. If I say, my car is black, that's a propositional truth statement. Okay, we take those kinds of things in all the time, and the way that we understand them to be true is through the kind of arguing that we're talking about here. So the definition of argument, be up on the screen here, is, is this. This is off of Google also. An exchange of diverging or opposite views, typically a heated or angry one. Now, that's the first one. That's the one you have with your brother-in-law. I've had an argument with my father, it says. I, I never do that, but I'm sure some of you do. <laughs> I do sometimes. Um, the number two is the one we're talking about. A reason or set of reasons given with the aim of persuading others that an action or idea is right or wrong, or true or false, I would add to Google's thing. I'll submit that later. But that's what it is, okay? It's, it's a, a set of reasons, uh, of reasoning that says, here's why we believe something. Now, as a philosophy major and an attorney, I'm very familiar with both kinds of arguing, Okay? And I absolutely adore the second kind. I love a good argument. I love good reasoning. And you ought to, too, because it's all through the Scripture, and it's how we come to know truth. It's how we come to know truth. Now, here's an example uh, of the second kind of argument. Okay, remember, an argument's going to have premises. That they, this is true. This is true. Therefore, this conclusion. Okay, so I'm going to give you an example. Uh, whatever begins to, this is called the Kalam cosmological argument, by the way. Whatever begins to exist has a cause of its beginning. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause of its beginning. See how that works? This is true, this is true, and if these two are true, therefore, this is true. That's how it works. Here's another one. If two football teams play, the team that wins more often is the better team. Of the 112 times the Huskies have played the Ducks... The Huskies have won 60 times, and the Ducks have won 47. If someone is doing the math, there's five ties in there. That's why it's not going to add up right. Therefore, the Huskies are the better team, okay? Now, if my first premise is true, which it isn't necessarily true, then my conclusion will be true, okay? A lot of arguments are like that. They can be short, they can be a couple things, or they can be longer, but a lot of them are much more complicated where they're going to have several premises leading to a conclusion, which is also a premise leading to the next conclusion and so on. And they can be complicated and long. The book of Romans is like this. And the Sermon on the Mount is like this. Okay? It's a long argument. He's, it's a compelling argument of truth that Jesus uses and weaves through the whole time. He's very, very smart. He knows what he's doing. You'll see themes repeating. You'll see premises that lead to conclusions. Those conclusions starting as premises leading to the next conclusion and so on. And so in order to understand the Sermon on the Mount, which is an example of a complicated argument, it takes some work and some study or else you're just left with a verse by itself here and a verse by itself there, which isn't bad, but you're not going to fully understand it. You're not going to fully understand. So what is the therefore, therefore, in this section? Let's look at it. In order to do that, we've got to start by, if it's an argument, we know therefore means we're talking about what comes before it. And so I'm going to go to the last therefore. 
Okay, the ending of the last argument that is also the first premise to the argument that's, that's concluding in this section that we're reading. Okay? And that's in, in, in the same chapter in verse 8, okay? about 20 verses earlier, a little less than that. You have verse 8, it says this, Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Okay? That was the end of an argument. Now, he was responding to a theme that we see multiple times in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a theme that we named this series for. Okay? He's talking about responding to the fact that the pagans, the idol worshipers, and the heathens of the day pray with lots of meaningless words. And he's saying, therefore, don't be like them. That was their culture. Don't be like them. We are right side up, not upside down like them. He was reminding us that Christ followers are different. And this, therefore, this conclusion is also a premise starting the next section that leads to the therefore that we're in today. I know this is a little bit confusing, but just try to stay with me. I know I talk a little fast. So I'm going to give you a quick summary of the argument that's, and it's not everything. There's more to it. There's only so much we can do on Sunday mornings. We'd have to get into this more life group, something like that. But I'm going to give you a quick summary of where we are. Here's the argument. It starts with the, technically it starts at the very beginning and there's all that we do, but it starts with this, this particular part starts with the last therefore, which we just read to you, which is for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Okay. That's our first premise. The father knows the things we need before we ask him. Then we get into the next section, which is verses nine through 15, where it talks about praying and how to pray. And a couple of things we specifically pray for is that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we pray for our daily bread. We also pray for things like giving God glory for who he is and so on. So we're talking about the character of God. We're talking about what we're supposed to be looking for, which is our daily bread, and that God's will will be done. The next section is about fasting, and at the end of that section, verses 16 through 18, it ends with, and God will reward, right? If you do this the correct way, you will be rewarded, which is part of a theme. That's part of the argument going up earlier also. The next one talks about, this is verses 19 through 21. We're to be focused on treasures in heaven, not on earth, because our heart will be where our treasure is. Okay, these are, that's, that's premise number four. Premise number five, you should have a good eye and be satisfied with what the Lord provides without worrying about what other people get. That's verses 22 and 23. You may remember that sermon. And this is another point here before I get to the rest of this. If you don't come to church every week and get the teachings, it's very, very hard to understand a complicated thing like Scripture. Scripture's not easy. People who are like, oh, well, if God wanted us to know something, he'd make it super easy. No, he wouldn't. That's ridiculous. He gave you a brain. He expects you to use it. It's not, it, this is not just spoon-feeding stuff. Scripture's hard. It takes study. You want to understand the deep things of the Lord? You're going to have to study, okay? So if you miss Sundays, then you miss some of these things, for, and you don't understand. For instance, the one about the, the evil eye. If you just read that passage and didn't have the sermon on it, or we talked about it in the context and whatever, then you might not understand this. Anyway, that's just a plug for be at church every Sunday. Next one. <laughs> right before this, therefore, it's you cannot serve God in money. Okay, you cannot serve God in money. You've got to pick where your loyalty is. So these are the premises. And they end, this, 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 therefore, I say to you, do not worry. All of these lead to, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. And do you see the argument? 
that he's making, the things that he's telling you are true about who God is, about who the Father is, about his character, about who you are, about what you should expect, about where your heart should be. And because of all that, you ought not to worry. That's where this thing starts, okay? He's not just saying, don't worry out of nowhere. It's like, hey, don't worry. Like, well, why wouldn't I worry? Well, because of all these things that I've already told you. I've already told you, okay? Already what he's revealed in this and the whole thing and then the whole scripture. Okay. He's told us we're children of the Father, right? This is, this is a consistent thing. Kingdom of God. You're part of the kingdom of God. We're Christ followers. We live right side up, not upside down like the unbelievers. He's telling us who he is, who God is, what we can expect from him, where our hearts should be, and if our hearts are where they ought to be, we will not need to worry. That's what he's telling us. There are actually two more therefores just in the section that we read. And they're all related to this therefore and all connected back to the whole thing. So we're going to get into it a little bit. We're going to walk through it. Okay. So let's go back to verse 25. Give the guy in the slides there time to get back to it. It says this, therefore. So all those premises came and then therefore. I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's making a certain kind of argument, okay? There's a Latin term for it. It's called a fortiori or a fortiori argument. There's nobody knows how to pronounce Latin. So if somebody's always pronouncing it like that's the way you pronounce it, they're lying to you. Nobody knows how to pronounce Latin. It's a dead language, okay? So when I say something, you're like, that doesn't sound right. I've heard somebody say it differently. We're both wrong, probably, okay? <laughs> All right, so a fortiori, and what that means is all the more so. If this is true, then this is true all the more so. So he uses that kind of that style of argumentation in this section. He's saying, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your body, okay? Are life and body more important than food, drink, and clothes? Yes. So don't worry about these things. These are more important than those things. And God obviously knows that you need life and you need body. He gave you a life and he gave you body. Is he not all the more so going to make sure that your body has clothes on it and that you have food to eat and, and something to drink? Of course he is. So that's where he's going with this. Then he uses an example. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's the a fortiori again. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So he's, so he's saying, okay, here, here are the birds. Birds of the air. Well, you've, you've been around birds. You've seen, most of you have seen birds, right? They're small. They have wings. They're normally kind of chirpy. Like, do-do-do-do-do. You've seen Snow White or whatever, and they do. They're, they're happy, okay? Birds are generally chilling. And yet, they have to depend every day that there's going to be worms in the ground or whatever nasty stuff they eat. Right? And they, they fly down and they chirp along and they eat their worms and they go on. Now, if God cares about birds and birds are less important, vastly, unbelievably less important than humans, don't, talk, don't email me vegans, okay? <laughs> birds are not as important as people, okay? You're not going to convince me otherwise. Birds are not as important as people. And that's what God's saying here. Birds are not as important. And if God takes care of them, a fortiori, how much more so will he take care of you? That's the argument that's being made here. That's the truth claim that God, that Jesus is giving us. And he says, by worrying, can you add one cubit to your stature? 
Some of your translations may say an hour to your life. Actually, the word for height or stature and life are the same word in Greek. And so you see different translations handling that differently. The point is, you can't do anything by worry. You aren't going to make your life longer. You're not going to get taller, Glenn. You're not going (laughs) to... You will, Glenn. Keep worrying. I, you're, you're definitely not going to get there by worrying. Okay. You are going to make things happen by worrying. It's not going to make it any better, so you are wasting your time and energy. Okay, next. He says, so why do you worry about clothing? Then he gives us another example. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Back in the day... Before we could go to Walmart and buy clothes, I know some of you are thinking, you clearly go to Walmart and buy clothes. I don't go to Walmart and buy clothes. It's true. I do. I buy clothes. I think this shirt came from Walmart. Anyway, before you could do that, you had to spin and make cloth and make clothes, okay? And he's saying the lilies of the field, they don't toil. They don't spin. They're just sitting there growing, man. They're just doing their thing. God's just growing them. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon was really rich, probably the richest man that ever lived. And you know he had dope clothes. He was, he was looking good. Whatever could be done, clothing-wise, Solomon had it. So when he was arrayed, all made up for whatever, this guy was legit. And he's saying that even Solomon and all that is not as beautiful as what I just do with the lilies of the field. No, one, no one's clothes are more beautiful than, than nature in its finest. If you show me, hey, do you want to go look at some clothes, or would you like to go look at Mount Hood? I'm going to be like, yeah, that's not a tough call for me. I've already been to Walmart today. Anyway. (laughs) Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. A fortiori. If he's going to take the grass, okay, this is not northwest grass that you guys are thinking about that you buy at the herbery. Grass, actual grass, okay, lilies and so on. Today, here they are. Tomorrow, the sun comes up, they get kind of scorched, they, they dry up. Somebody comes and grabs them all and tosses them in the oven so they can bake their bread that night. They are, relative to you, worthless. They don't last long. They're just flowers. You, on the other hand, were made specially and purposefully in the image and likeness of God to live eternally. Grass is around for a day or two and then it's thrown in the fire. If he'll do all that for flowers, how much more so will he make sure you're doing okay? And you have the clothes that you need. And he says, oh, you of little faith. He's taking faith and putting it right smack in the middle of this. If you worry, it is a lack of faith. You don't believe either that you're more important than birds and flowers, which you are, and you ought to believe. Or you don't believe for some reason that God is going to come through for you and that he cares more about you than these other things and will make sure that you're going to be okay. It's a faith issue. All right. We're going to get to our next therefore. Therefore, do not worry. Second time he said that. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Therefore, do not worry. It's the same argument. He's repeating it out. Same. What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Okay. Once again, the same theme. 
This is what the pagans do. This is what the people who don't know who God is and don't know who they are do. You, on the other hand, are Christ followers made in the image and likeness of God. You know your value. You know who God is. You know his promises. And you know you can trust him. Why would you act like those who don't have any of that? That's what they act like. That's what those who have no hope act like. You ought not to act like them. They're upside down. We're right side up. So he's making that argument again. And then he says this. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Does that sound familiar? It's the first premise repeated back. Okay, the first premise, if you remember, was therefore do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So that, which is in the section about prayer up here, is now also repeated in the section, tying them together on the section on worry. If you've prayed for these things, knowing that he knows, then down here you can trust because you have faith that those things will come to pass, that you will get your daily bread. But seek first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, once again, what do you think he's going to say after that? Do not worry. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay. Jesus has made, has reasoned through an argument for us and has given us good reasons to believe that we don't need to worry. And he's made it clear. There's actually a lot more to it if you really wanted to start taking the strings out from Genesis to Revelation. But here is, is, is a good snapshot of what he's doing with his argument, with his reasoning. Okay? There is something called common grace. Common grace is something that, that the believer and the unbeliever both get. It's the fact that the sun rises on everybody, every human, and the rain falls on every human. It's the kind of thing that feeds the birds and the kind of thing that feeds most people. Okay? Common grace, the goodness of God, the good gifts, all good gifts come from God. And even the unbeliever gets many good gifts. But freedom from worry is not promised to the unbeliever. It's promised to the Christ follower. It's promised to the believer. The Christ follower does not have to worry. The unbeliever, on the other hand, is not promised that they don't have to worry. In fact, they ought to worry. The unbeliever ought to worry because they do not have faith in Christ. And therefore, there's nothing for them to pin their hope to, which is why they run around worrying about everything. Now, most of us in this country, in the Western world, aren't worrying as much about whether we can get something to eat most of us have something to eat. Most of us have, I see most of you have clothes on. Good. I appreciate that. It's kind of a standard here at Axe Church. We wear clothes. So that's not, for most people, the main worry. But there are lots of things people do worry about. I've seen on social media, talking to people, whatever. If you want to see what people worry about, just look there. Politics. What's this person doing? What's that person doing? I want this person in office or that person out of office. And this, uh, blah, blah, blah. As if God wasn't on his throne. As if God wasn't sovereign. You're running around worrying about what's going to happen. I see people worry about their own value. 
You know, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I whatever? No, yes. You were made in the image and likeness of God. You are perfectly who you're supposed to be. And if you'll seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, you'll be just fine. You don't need to worry about that. I understand why the unbeliever worries about those things. Because for the unbeliever, all their hope, all their faith, all their trust has to be in things like whoever the president of the United States is. Or whoever, whether their job is secure enough or whether whatever. That's their only hope. Does their bank account have enough money? Are people treating them nice enough? Whatever it is. But for the unbeliever, you don't need any of that. You have Jesus. You can trust him. Tomorrow is tomorrow. We got enough to worry about today. Not worry about. We have enough to do today. I got enough to do today without constantly worrying about tomorrow. And the more that I worry about tomorrow, the less I get done the things that need to get done today. There is uh, some freedom in focusing on just the stuff that you need to do and having some peace about that. The question for us is, are we seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? First. I want you to think about the last week in your life, maybe even just the last 24 hours. Has your number one priority in life, has a, has a filter that everything has gone through have been, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. My friends call me up, they want to go to a movie. Hey, what movie are we going to? What's this one? Is the first thing I think about when deciding whether I'm going to go see that movie, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Is this consistent with that? Because that's my number one priority. My entertainment is way down here. Way down here. But sometimes it gets way up here. Right? When, you're, when somebody says something to you that you don't like, before your mouth spurts forth, are you thinking first about the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Is that what you're seeking? Or are you seeking vengeance or the right to snap back or whatever? When you're driving to work, you got to listen to one of the sermons on podcasts. I know how you guys are. And you're driving down the road. And somebody comes in, shoop, right in front of you. Are you seeking first, and I don't mean the number one that you tend to hold up in that situation. <laughs> Are you thinking, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that's going di- to dictate what I do here, or not? Is that where we are? Because the promise is that if we'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to us. Let me get back to my story for a second. Uh, this anxiety thing for me went on for some years. There was some relief off and on at different times. Um, I learned some coping mechanisms. And, uh, you know, Tiffany and I started to grow more in the Lord somewhat, but not where the Lord wanted me. Um, but it, it came back, this thing came back in full force with a vengeance when I was 26 years old. I had just gone to law school. I had moved from here to Virginia. I was in law school. I spent a month there where Tiffany and, and Corey and Ethan were back here. She had a, a wedding of her friends that she was going to, so I spent a month down there. And in that time, my anxiety became so intense that I was just forced to the foot of the cross. I had nothing left in myself. And in that, I found Christ. And I found a truly transformational relationship where I could rely on him because I had nothing else. And it was a powerful thing. And in the years since, 
Since that day, I have from time to time struggled on and off with anxiety, but it's never been debilitating. It's never been paralyzing. It's never kept me from the things that God's had for me. What it has done is is always reminded me and pushed me to trust God more and more. More and more and more and more. I would say in the past couple of years, the Lord has has helped me to press more and more and more into him in in, in a more uh, powerful way. It's just increased powerfully in the last couple of years. I hope it continues to increase. The more I trust him, the more I believe what he says. And the less I worry. The less I worry. The more clearly I see the world, the more clearly I see the kingdom of God the more that I trust him. It is an incredible blessing to grow in the Lord. If you have not experienced what it looks like to see your own growth in the Lord, it is an incredible blessing. But here's the thing. If you want to grow in the Lord, you've got to trust him more and more. That's how it works. If you've ever been in a relationship, you know that trust builds over time. When you see somebody do something, and they do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again, and they come through, and they come through, and they come through, your trust tends to go up and up and up. You depend on them more and more and more. Very few of us are completely trustworthy. But the amount of trust we have for people and our relationships we have usually depends on how much they've shown us. In the case with God, as you trust him more and more and more, as you know him more and more and more, as you press into him, as you seek first the kingdom of God more and more and more, you come to trust him more and more. And then you come to love him more and more and more. Because he comes through and he comes through and he comes through. And he's already come through with his death and rising again. And so you just continue to push in. Now, I want to take an aside for a second and tell you this. Remember this, I am not saying that you should never feel sad. Jesus is not saying that you should never feel sad. Jesus is not saying that you're not going to experience pain. In fact, quite the opposite. We know persecution will come. We know difficulties will come. We know trials will come. These are part of the fallen world that we live in. This is the nature of why we need Jesus, because the world has fallen, and you will have difficulties, and you will go through pain, and you will have sadness. All of those things are true. And Jesus also tells us in Revelation specifically that those things will be done away with when all things are made new. So that is our hope that we look forward to, that drives us forward. You will be sad sometimes. You will feel pain sometimes. I mean, read the Psalms. There are some pain, pain people, pained people in the Psalms, crying out, why, God? How long, God? How long, Lord, will I have to deal with this? There's people in pain. Look at the life of Paul the Apostle. Okay, this is from Acts 9.16. Lord's talking to Ananias, who's going to bring Paul in, and Ananias is freaked out because Paul is a Christian murderer, basically, because he's been persecuting Christians, and Ananias is a Christian. He's like, I don't know about this. And Jesus is like, no, no, I got it. He's going to work for me. And then he says this, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And if you know much about Paul in his life, you know he did. Suffer. For Jesus' name, big time. So it's going to happen. Suffering is part of living in this world. And it is also something God uses as he uses all things for good. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. He's going to work it all for good. 
and the pain and the difficulty in life, he will work that together for good. And part of what he does is in all of that stuff, he draws you closer to him. I can tell you that I would never wish the kind of pain that I had from my anxiety disorder on anyone. It was truly horrific. It was horrible. And yet I wouldn't give it up for a second because I know that, it, that, it, that as a rebellious, wicked sinner, it drove me into the arms of Jesus. And I wouldn't give that up and I wouldn't give the relationship I have with Jesus up for a second just to be more comfortable and to have not suffered in that way. God can use suffering. He used it in Paul, right? Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He's like, Lord, take it away. Three times he asked. God says, no, I'm not taking it away. You're going to suffer with this because my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's who we need to be. Keeps us humble and it keeps us just driving towards the Lord and trusting him. Something that for eternity we will need. Now, I am not saying that worrying is... I'm not saying that because you don't worry, you shouldn't do anything. Some people think, oh yeah, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about going to work tomorrow. God's going to take care of it. Just play a little more Fortnite. That's not what he means. Okay? It's not what he means. It's not talking about not worrying about doing the things that you should do. We're doers. We're believers. We're Christ followers, especially at this church. We're go, do, go, do for the kingdom of God because we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. We're go, we're do. Don't, don't tell me, I don't worry about anything. When what you mean is, I don't do anything. That's not what he's talking about, okay? There are difficulties. There are tough things. They're not to be worried about, and they're not to be feared. We're to trust God. Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. This is Mark 4. Some of you who are doing your daily Bible reading plan probably have read this recently. It's four, Mark 4, 35 through 41. He's in, he's in the boat. They're cruising across, and a storm starts. Big squall storm, Okay? The winds, the waves, the water's coming to the boat. The disciples are, oh my gosh, we're going to die. We're going to die. That's my impression of Peter, by the way. That's, I think it's a pretty good one. And they're, they're freaking out. I'm going to die. Oh my goodness. And they go, where's Jesus? Which is what we should all ask whenever we're in trouble, right? Where's Jesus? Oh yeah, I can pray to him right now. He can be here for me. But they're like, where's Jesus? They couldn't find him. So they go look for Jesus. I mean, literally, they're about to go down. They all think they're going to die. And then where is Jesus? He's, he's up in the, in the thing, on a pill, sleeping, taking a nap. He is napping while they're all going to die, and the ship's going down. And they are freaked out, and he is chilling, taking a nap. Why? Because he's God. Because the Son submitted to the will of the Father and trusted completely completely, that he was not going to die on the, on the sea right there. He knew what he was, where he was going to die. But even if he was going to die, he wasn't going to worry about it. Fear was not going to define him because God does not give us a, sp a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We do not have to be afraid. If you live in Christ and you seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, you will not have to fear. You can be like Jesus, sleeping while all the Gentiles are running around freaking. That's where you can be. 
I've had to deal with this in my life. I know I don't know how many of you fly. Buff, do you ever fly? Sometimes, I guess. So when I fly, sometimes that, it's that takeoff and that landing that kind of get me, right? First of all, I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. Big, huge tube of metal, fly. It just does not, it doesn't work for me, right? So I have a hard time just coming around to the fact that that big tube can fly through the air. I get it. There's physics, whatever. Not my thing. Physics is too hard. So I'm sitting there, and it seems like, you know, you start, to, you start going, they push the thing forward or whatever they do. I've seen the movies. And you start to go really fast. You get faster, 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 and then you lift off. And it, it seems like every time, like, they'll take up the landing gear or something like that, and it'll make some noise. I'm like, oh, we're dead. Something just fell off of this thing. We are going to die, right? If it's not that, then it seems like I'm always on this place where right out of the gate, like, it sounds like the engines are turning off or, you know, you're making this turn. So I'm sure it's all fine, but it doesn't seem like it to me. I'm like, okay, that's it. We're, I'm dead. We're dead. We're all dead, right? Same thing with the landing. It can be like that for me. Like, okay, here we go. We're just going to just fly right into the ground. Right, Fine. No problem. I'm sure that'll work. Just go for it. We're sideways. It's windy. This plane's doing this type of thing. It, it, the wings are not that far. All it has to do is a little bit, right? It's going to hit there. I mean, it's just bad. Okay, so that's where I am. You know what I've had to do is go, okay, what if? Do I trust the Lord or don't I trust the Lord? I certainly can't control whether we're going to do that or not. Yeah, I went in here. I looked. There's a bunch of buttons. It feels like nobody really knows how to work all those buttons probably. And the guy I see with the little pilot stripe doesn't look. He looks a little sketchy to me, okay? <laughs> Whatever. I'm sure he's not. I'm sure they're trained. You know, he's taking down another martini right before he gets on there. Whatever's going on there. I'm kidding. They're not allowed to do that. Not allowed to do that. But I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, uh, my hands, my life is in this guy's hands. I always tell myself, I don't think he probably wants to die today. So at least he'll do his best. But I just have to go, you know what, Lord? It's yours. I have no control. It's yours. And I'm not going to fear. If I die, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to be with Jesus. And hopefully, if a plane crashes, it's going to be quick. Although I'll tell you, for you, it probably won't be. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm figuring it's the Lord's will, and I trust him. I trust that all things work together for good. So I pop out my phone, I plug in my earphones, and I do my thing. And I don't go, oh my goodness, did you hear that? Did you hear that? You know, is that wing still on over there? I don't worry about that. Just go, hey, if we're going to die, we're going down in style, it is what it is. My wife will be able to sue for a lot of money. That's what I think. <laughs> and I got to get to Albuquerque. So my point is this. In every place in life, there are times when those fears come. It may not be that your plane's going to crash or whatever, but it's something. You can look to the Lord and say, I trust you, and sleep on the boat that seems like it's going down. Because you trust God. If it goes down, it goes down. I can't control, in, the case, in this case, the wind and the waves. But what's really interesting about that story is Jesus could. He got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and they stopped. Where's your faith, he says to them. I am in control. I'm God. We're not. So the wind and the waves come, and we go, we don't have any control. We're all going to die. And God goes, chill. If I want you to die, you're going to die. I know when that's going to happen. And if I don't, you won't, but you have no control over it. So why are you freaking out? Why don't you trust me? Where's your faith? 
For some of you who are not believers, who are not going to put your trust in Jesus Christ, you might think to yourself, is this for me? Is this promise for me? The answer is, it's not. I know that's harsh. This is not a promise to the unbeliever. This is a promise to the believer, to the Christ follower, who will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. While there's common grace, you, if you are not trusting God, there is nothing else, nothing else that you can put your trust in that will be solid. It's all going to slip away. You can't put it in your bank account. You can't put it in other people. You can't put it in the government. You can't put it on your sports team. You can't put it on any of that stuff. If you don't have Jesus, the promise that you won't worry is not for you. But there's good news. He died for you too. He rose again for you too. And you can know him. This is what Romans 10, 9 says. This is how easy it is. It's not easy to, to walk the walk, but coming on in, being with Jesus is easy. This is it. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you want freedom, peace, you're tired of getting scared every time they bring the landing gear up, whatever it is, you want Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you a lot more than the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. More than anything, he died for you. And you could live in him. You need to be his follower to trust him. You can't trust him if you don't believe he's Lord. But if you do, you can. And you won't have to worry anymore about being under judgment because you haven't been saved because you can be saved and you can be saved today. And if you're not saved, you ought to get saved today. It doesn't have to be the case for you that you live in worry and fear. Come to Jesus today. Today. Become his disciple. Live in him. And if you live in him and you walk with him, eventually you'll be that person sleeping in the boat while the waves are crashing on everybody else because you trust him that much. I can tell you in my life that that has been the case. That I take a lot of naps, I mean. But also... Also, that I just have that kind of trust for Jesus. And I've had to. He's put me in the position to have to. And I thank him for it. Now, if you're a Christ follower, you need to ask yourself, what are you worried about? What are you worried about? Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? If you trust Jesus, then wake up every morning and tell yourself, I trust Jesus. Jesus, I trust you. Thank you that I can trust you. So that you start your day in the right place, trusting God. And then all day long, Every time something comes at you, that person cuts you off, that thing, you find out that bill came that you don't have money for this month, whatever it is, is, before the fear and the worry get a chance to creep in, say to yourself, I trust Jesus. Pray to God, Lord, I trust you. Thank you that I can trust you. Thank you that I can trust you. So you're telling yourself and you're telling the Lord that you trust him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Always there, always there. I'm telling you, you will live a life that becomes progressively less and less and less and less worrisome. You'll be more and more and more content with what you have. You'll stop feeling like you need to seek after the next thing, the next big thing, the next big promotion, the next nice car, the next whatever. That stuff will start to fade away 
because you just trust God so much. And that when you get blessings, you enjoy them more. I mean, this is life-changing, transformational stuff if you can live this way. That's what it is. And so I pray for you that you can. We do not need to be afraid. We do not need to worry. We have Jesus. He has saved us, and he will surely and certainly finish what he started in you and in me. He will make you new. He will make all things new. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would... Help us to trust you. You are trustworthy, worthy of trust. You have shown again and again and again for all your people throughout all time that they can depend on you. Not that no difficulties ever come or that no pain ever comes. We're in a fallen world, Lord. Our own sin is the cause of all of that. But you have promised that you will work all things together for good for those who love you, for those who are the called according to your purpose. We are called We are called according to your purpose, and we can trust your purpose and your will. You are good. You are love. Lord, I just pray that that Acts Church, I just pray a blessing over this church, over these people, that they would have trust for you, that they would have the kind of trust that lets you sleep in the front of the boat while everyone's freaking out. They would have the kind of trust that makes them content with their life and their wife and their husband and their children and their job. And they would have peace that surpasses understanding, that guards their hearts and minds in you, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would not live in a spirit of fear when that's not what you've given us, but that we would live in power and love and a sound mind. That if there are those who need healing from from anxiety disorders or from over-worry, that you would heal them today. And that we would all wake up as a church every morning and say, I trust Jesus, I trust Jesus, I trust Jesus. That everything that came our way would say, I trust Jesus. We would not let our feelings throw us this way and that. That we wouldn't be tossed by the waves because we know that you can control the waves and the wind. You are God. We trust you. Let us do your will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray that we would, through that, that we would become a people that are right side up to such an extent that the others in the world would look at us and go, who are these people who trust Jesus so much, they trust God so much that they're sleeping while we're all fretting. And that by that, they would be drawn to you, Lord. The people would be drawn to you and the relationship we can have with you. Lord, we have nothing to keep for ourselves. We want to give everything you've given to us, to give it back to you, to give it to this community, to be your hands and feet. Let us see that happen in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope God spoke to you through it. We would like to invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. for our Sunday service. If you enjoyed this sermon, have questions for us, or simply want to connect with Axe Church more, find us on Facebook under Axe Church Northwest. Send us an email or message, or leave us a rating or recommendation. We appreciate all of you and hope to hear from you.